A naive idiot can be endearing, but can also cause a lot of pain to themselves and to others. Welcome, my member lads, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Karen, and I do these reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to get the juicy, deep info from the books that they're reading and perhaps to learn why you don't want to be an idiot. And indeed, we do have the book The Idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky today for you. This book was published in 1868-1869, I'll touch upon that soon, and is about 650 pages in length, so it is a big one. I've been reading this over the course of a, a couple of weeks. And it's the fictional story of semi-acristocratic Russians over a period of sort of six months to one year. The book has a, uh, I would say, a condensed timeline considering how big the, the book itself actually is. We follow Prince Lev Nikolaevich Mishkin. I'm going to pronounce a lot of Russian names wrong here, so also be prepared for that. As he enters society in a naive but open manner and... Um, the book itself touch again, touches upon navigating love, on madness, bumbling liars, on self-important families, on Russian society and culture in general of this time era. Now, there's four parts of the book and they're split roughly into, uh, I would say, probably 125, 150 pages each, roughly with the, the volume of the book. But it takes place in two main settings, and one of these is in St. Petersburg, which is where the prince first arrives and starts entering into society. He meets families, he meets all sorts of different people, and he starts to make a, a, a quite big impression on himself. This period is very condensed. It, it takes almost over the place of a single day. Then the other part is in the town of Pavlovsk, which is more dashes, if you know what that means in Russian, they're sort of holiday getaway homes with saunas and things like this so uh, the other section is over a much more extended period and this is where the prince has entered more into society and now he's he's i suppose forming connections getting deeper with people and uh, trying to maybe even enter into the higher level of society as well I'll touch upon the author, the translation and whatnot before we get onto the main theme that I found from this. This is the Ignat uh, Avesi translation. So this is one of the more recent translations. I believe it was done in the early 2000s, maybe 2010s. And uh, this book in itself is one of Dostoyevsky's four great novels is what they're called. So we've already reviewed Crime and Punishment on this channel before. I previously read Brothers Karamazov. I might do a, a review of that in some point in the future and Demons, which I haven't read before. This was published as a serial. So it was published in individual parts. So even though there are, are four parts, there is multiple chapters in each. Part one contains 16 chapters, for example. So each one of those chapters would have been published as, a, as its own serial. So sort of one of those serials that has turned into a book or a book that has turned into a serial perhaps is probably the, the more accurate description. The first theme and the main theme that I've really taken from this book is naivety, endearing but harmful. And I'm just using the word naivety here, but it encompasses quite a few things related to the prince and uh, how he behaves in this book. So who is the prince? What is his background? He came from a sanatorium and he was renowned for his idiocy, I guess. So when he was a child growing up, 
he didn't have great tutors and he was very sick and ill. Uh, this is why he had to go to this sanatorium in Switzerland where he was basically just recovering. And although his formal education is quite lacking, he behaves in a manner which is is very simple-like. So you will see that his interactions, he's he's innocent. He's He has like an inability to intrigue. He's not trying to please people or say these things or or backstab people or do all of these sort of manipulations or anything like that. No, he's a pretty open book. What you see is what you get. And this is nice because underneath the surface surface of the book, what you see, what you get is a very kind-hearted, generous man. So it's not like he's a bad person, but at least you can see that he's bad. No, he's actually kind-hearted and you can see it as well. So he has all of these ways of showing this where he has these spontaneous speeches where he gets very animated and caught up in the moment and perhaps unaware of the social setting that he's in and probably shouldn't be talking about uh, beheading and watching a, a death and watching someone get guillotined with a new family that he's just met with their three young daughters. <laughs> so he has all of these little idiocies and quirks which make him just a person where you can see all of the other characters that he interacts with, they, they call him an idiot all the time, but it's sort of in an endearing way in, in the way that, oh, okay, he's naive, but it, and he, he's sort of silly and he does things that are perhaps not the right time and the, not at the right place, but he's completely honest and genuine and you, you somewhat have to uh, find that endearing. It is that many of the characters go, wow, okay, this, this guy's kind of special. Now, I wanted to look up the definition of, of naivety because I think this will highlight what I talked about at the start, which is they can be endearing but harmful. And so, the definition that I roughly pulled out was something like, it's the neglect of pragmatism in favor of moral idealism. Or, and also tied up with this is a lack of experience and sophistication. This perfectly fits the prince. He doesn't have the sophistication experience because he has essentially lived a, a stunted life and upgrowing. Uh, I should mention that the prince is roughly 24, 25 years of age. So he's still pretty young, but also has enough experience of, of just life to be somewhat confident in himself, in himself as well. And he definitely is a moral idealist. And you see this in his speeches where he will talk about the uh, the Russian spirit or the, you know, a certain thing related to Christianity or whatever it is. He, he is very impassioned by this. And so he does have all of these morals and these ideals that he he sticks to and he sticks to very hard. His This pity, compassion he feels for others, he will go to the utmost, utmost lengths to help people. Now, what results in this? Well, I would say he gets taken advantage of in, in many ways. So although people love him and draw him in, and so he does get some benefits from that, uh, he also has money taken from him because he he believes people too readily, although he does address how he knows he's sort of being taken advantage of, yet he will still give the money anyway. Uh, this is because he comes, he finds himself into a fortune somewhat. Uh, this excessive pity, which people will demonstrate in front of him and he will feel, ah, oh, I, I need to help this person. I need to, you know, spend time with them even if I'm short of time. I need to give them money. I need to be a, a shoulder to cry on. I need to 
etc etc he's very people come to him and they know they will get a a reaction that they want from him rather than maybe the harsh truth which would perhaps be even better which is quit your drinking you you lazy alcoholic and and look after your family or uh, you know, you need to get your life sorted, mate. You can't, you can't keep going along like this. Uh, he's the butt of jokes, so many people call him an idiot to his face, as well as uh, muttered under their breath or speaking about him. And when he's not in the room, that that is the main, <laughs> the main uh, uh, insult slash compliment, I guess you could also call it, which is is levied at him. And uh, he doesn't take this all lying down, but it happens often enough that it it sort of also passes by as well. So his naivety opens up social doors to him, but uh, has, has some costs as well. It's not all good in endearing in, in his face. Now I'll talk about what actually results at the end of the book as well from his, his naivety and this innocence, I would say. So big spoiler alert here, if you don't want to know what actually happens, uh, I think everyone becomes worse off, to be honest. From knowing him, from interacting with him, not many people I could say are really you could you could point out and be mm, you know that it's a good thing that they interacted with him. Uh, and so I'll list this on. He himself goes mad. He returns back to the sanatorium and is essentially in a comatose state. Uh, the uh, Death of Natasha, so uh, his, I suppose, main love throughout the book, Natasha Filipinova, she dies as a result of him trying to marry her and then this causing a love triangle which uh, pushes uh, Radomsky, uh, Rogozin, I should say, um, over the edge and and leads to him stabbing her. So she dies. Uh, Rogozin, because of this love triangle that is formed and because of the prince's sort of stealing of his love of his uh, ideal girl somewhat uh this this drives him to to murder and then uh, you know he almost kills the prince as well uh and he's eventually sentenced to to hard labor in in the mines for 15 years or in the gulags the betrayal aglaya suffers so this is a sort of separate love triangle not involving uh, rogozin but this is where he's also in love with Aglaya, one of the the three female daughters of of one of the the high ranking families, and yet he inadvertently in on his part in his own mind inadvertently causes this betrayal where he instead goes with Natasha instead of with her, uh, and yet she suffers this you know huge pain in the chest, sort of stabbing in the back. Uh, where he essentially says, no, I'm, I'm going to go with her and, and not with you. Uh, the Yapanchan, so which she is part of the family of, so this is the family with the three daughters, and they they suffer a huge embarrassment because of him because he acts very strangely uh, when they're presenting him to the high society. And so their social standing somewhat comes down as well. Most of the main characters in the book, the the central principal characters have a pretty bad ending and he plays a part in, I suppose, the the results of why they have this bad ending. If he had taken better decisions, I think all of them could have been better off. And so, we'll contrast this with some others as well. And so, 
getting back into the idea of neglecting pragmatism in favor of moral idealism. I think the reason that all of these bad things somewhat happen is because he follows this moral idealism to its limits. He really doesn't take any decisions based on pragmatically thinking, this is how I could make this situation better and and sort of use foresight in a way. He, He sort of just goes based on... I don't want to call it gut instinct because he obviously thinks about the the things that he does and and why he does them. But there's no there's no ability to to hold simultaneous things in his mind at the same time. It's almost like he has to go all in on this one thing. And I want to contrast this with some other people who I would say are not naive. They do favor pragmatism more than perhaps moral idealism. And so this is Lizaveta Prokovyevna. <laughs> Jeez. This is the the matriarch of the the family with the, the three daughters, the Yepanchins. Um she she fares much better overall. She contrasts herself, compares herself with the prince very often and says, you know, I am so similar to the prince in many, many ways. Yet she also acknowledges, mm, but I suppose the difference would be uh, she she still has an understanding of society expectations on how to behave with high society and this is why even though she's a little bit different a little bit unique and it's very similar to the prince she can also have a, a benefactress which you know helps her her family and in, in the standing of society she can also mingle with different groups of people and even though she can have these outbursts of temper and of of passion and of the speeches in a very similar vein to how the prince does. She also knows when when to shut up <laughs> in a way, when when to not take it too far. Uh, some other people I would compare with would be the uh, princess who marries one of the, the daughters with uh, Pavlovich, with, even with uh, Lebedev. <laughs> this is the, the man who's somewhat scheming. We meet him right at the, the start of the book and Although he does have some moral idealisms himself, particularly related to his uh, scholastic learnings of of Christianity and of his enthusiasm related to that. And there's certain sections of the book where he's talking about how the railroads are connected to this obscure Christianic point about it was a falling star of some sort and whatnot. He also knows how to scheme. He knows how to talk to people behind the scenes and although you could say this is an unfavorable quality of his he also doesn't end up in a sanatorium and in a comatose state or dead or suffering a huge embarrassment and even to a certain extent when bad things happen to him i.e his money gets stolen about 400 rubles worth i think they still come back to him uh, they uh, another character i should have mentioned in the contrasting section who has these ideals is the the general Ivanchin, Ivanovich maybe <laughs> this is the alcoholic general who everyone says you know he is a kind-hearted sweet most open man he is he's very loving and endearing although he lies all the time although he's an alcoholic uh, he also ends up with a stroke and you know you you probably can't put this down to his moral idealism, but I think it just highlights the fact in this book that characters who are a bit more 
aware and I would just say not naive. They do favor pragmatism in favor of moral idealism. They're the ones who all end up off way better at the end. Now, uh, I do want to also contrast this with uh, the people who are a bit more, uh, yeah, so many contrasting, so many things to <laughs> to talk about. Uh, some other characters who maybe are a bit more morally idealistic, uh, Ganya. So this is uh, Gavrila, uh, I forget his last name. Uh, I'll touch upon this in the observations why I forget his last name, who is a somewhat mediocre man, but he does have these ideals of grandeur of he wants he wants to be at the top he 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 feels like he is destined for the stars and for greatness but also recognizes his own mediocrity in that he doesn't have it in him he doesn't have the creativity he doesn't have the uh, the drive i guess the that inner something special which people like the prince do and yet he still has this idealism i'm going to call it which is i deserve to be at the top i deserve all of these things and so when he does have pragmatic decisions to make i.e he has the chance to marry aglaya uh, which it would be probably more in his best interests uh, he, he can't pragmatically do it he he struggles he 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 struggles to 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 pull the to pull the, the, the lever to, to fire the gun to actually make the decision. He also squanders 100K of, of rubles, which is thrown into the fire, and all he has to do is sort of scrabble to get him out, which would provide for him and for his family, but his moral ideals stop him from doing this. It's almost like the pragmatism just does, isn't part of his, his makeup. Some other people would be Ippolit. So this is the... The young man, very young man in his uh, late teens, early teens perhaps, late teens, uh, who is dying of tuberculosis, of consumption, and he is super atheistic and the, he's following this moral, idealistic path that he set out for himself. And all it does is cause him his own suffering. It's, it's you know, if you're, if you have five weeks left to live, what, what's the best approach you should do? You know, it's probably to, to try and maximize your own happiness to, to, to find as much joy as you can from life. And yet he will just try and do all of these things to convince people of his way of life, of arguing against the prince. They're almost like they're at the opposite ends of, of uh, Christianity and atheism and they're butting against each other. And if only both of them could somewhat reach the middle, they would probably both be a bit happier. And so what what can you take from all of this to, to finish off this theme section? I think maybe following an 80-20 strategy would probably be the, be the best. So set yourself a goal, you know, Aglaya and Natasha Filipinova's happiness to maximize the happiness of both of them, which is somewhat what the prince seemed to want to do uh, and also his own happiness and then take practical decisions informed by the ideals rather than the other way, which is take decisions on the ideals and then maybe include a bit of practicality at, at the end towards it. So I would have said he, the main, the main issues caused by the prince and by everyone in this book was because the people who were super idealistic were driven to take decisions by that idealism rather than 
focusing more on the practical, pragmatic outcome of what they want, you know, sorting in your head what you want and then taking practical decisions and then following your ideals and being informed by them, which I think is more of a character like uh, Lizaveta Prokovenia. And yeah, so that's the, uh, the theme section. We'll, we'll wrap all of that up because that was a huge section. And we'll go into the observations and takeaways. So what did I take away from this book? What are some observations? Well, Dostoyevsky is brilliant. There's so many themes in this book which you'd somewhat expect from being a 650-page book. But you could have looked at atheism versus Christianity. You could have looked at the internal struggles of self-reproach, of, of somewhat victims blaming themselves, which is what Natasha Filipinova had for herself where she was sexually exploited whilst, whilst as a youngster. There's the different types of love, which you could compare with this cruel hatred love that she has, the prince's pitiful, um, you know, desperation love in many ways. There's Aglaya's love of of the ideal and of uh, the kind-hearted nature. And, you know, there's so many, so many themes that could have been touched upon. And I just took the one that I found, which was naivety, which is the, the, the good and bad side of that. And, you know, this ties in with the, the idiocy, I suppose. But you can really take whatever you want out of this book because there's so many different themes that you can focus upon. I would say it's a, a total switch of perception as well. So the brutal ending is, is sort of takes you by surprise and almost the bad things happen throughout the book. You know, people suffer heartaches, but they they live on. They they have another chance. They they might have a degradation in their social standing or in their situation and in their, in their instances of, of life but there's there's no real bad thing real real bad things happen to them and then the ending comes along and the the last 50 pages just <laughs> knocks off characters left right and center uh, the general dies natasha dies uh, the princess um, goes into a coma uh, aglaya is sort of um fooled by uh, wily men and uh, starts to hate her family so there's breaking up of the family uh, Rogozin is sentenced to the hard labor everyone pretty much it comes off way worse and it this is what required almost a re-reading of the book because my perception up until then was oh you know this moral idealism is is beautiful look at all these characters they're getting along nicely they're there's something endearing about it. And then yet, yet when you see the the outcome, it's just like, oh, ooh. no, I, d- I don't want that. I don't want to be the person who's somewhat responsible for many of these things occurring, which the prince, I I would argue, uh, has a, a large bearing on. Um, I, I don't think Rogozin would have killed Natasha. I don't think Aglaya would have uh, started to hate her family and, and uh, you know, essentially distance herself from them and and completely disassociate themselves from them if the prince had just been a little bit more pragmatic and uh, and a little bit more careful in his decision making so yeah it's almost like you need to reread it and then look at what's happening at the start of the book and be like okay is he making good decisions here is he saying things that are actually going to uh, you know help him and help everyone which is what he seems to want to do but 
doesn't really end up in that way at the end of the book. The character list, I would suggest having one or having bookmarked on a phone or somewhere the principal and the minor characters because going through it, there's probably 20 people who you need to somewhat know uh, because any one of them can come and interact with the prince at any given time and you need to, to know sort of what their situation is. And then not only their their situation but also the different ways that their names can be used because the the russian naming system is just so confusing in many ways because they'll use the the patrionic name and then they'll use the full name and so it could be prince lev nikolaevich mishkin or it could be the prince or it could be prince mishkin or it could be uh nikolaevich or this and this happens with every single character so there were so many times where someone would come interact with the prince on a new day and I would go, uh, who is that again? Which, which character, what have, what have their previous interactions with the prince been? Uh, why, why is this, is this important or is this a sort of setting up scene for another scene? It, it can get confusing. So I would definitely recommend having a, a family tree or a, a a list of characters or just something to jog the memory, especially if you're reading the book over several weeks like I did, which, uh, uh, you know, you'll, you'll forget characters who are right at the start and then appear later in the end. And it's, it can be a little bit uh, disorientating, I should say. The last one I wanted to point out was it's a, a quite of an unusual book structure. And I think this has been pointed out by many other people before, but there's these super long scenes and many side plots where the prince isn't even involved. There's random gatherings with many characters. There's instances of impassioned speeches that go on for pages and pages and pages uh, and you somewhat need to just get a hold of all of these different things that are going on. And I would, I would say this is very different from the other novels that I've read of him, which yes, quite large, but they sent, they center around maybe 10 characters in, in total. Whereas this one had 20 plus, you know, probably getting up to 30 who had enough interactions that you needed to, to somewhat remember who they were. So onto the summary, um, I'm going to say this is distinctly a Dostoevsky book. You can you can tell by the the reading and the writing. At least this is my third one where I I can I could sort of see okay yeah this is this is how he writes and this is his style, but it's a little bit different. Like I just mentioned, the I found it harder to follow the the plot in some cases, and it didn't contain standout scenes like I feel the other two I've read, which would be Raskol- Raskolnikov when he gives this uh, impassioned speech to the prostitute that he's he's somewhat seeing, or Ivan's speech when he's um, going about the Inquisitor and, and chatting with uh, Aloysia. Um, once again, Russian names. Uh, there's plenty of meaty themes to dig into and be prepared for a, a long read. And I, w- I would also say... Don't try and look for a theme in particular. Just read it and see what pops up into your mind because for me it was the naivety and the idiocy and how bad things happened to it because he probably wasn't pragmatic enough. But you might take completely different things like the love stories or the Russian culture or the 
type of climate or how people interact when they're in large circles or the atheism or the, you know, Ippolit's decision to kill himself but doesn't doesn't actually work out. There's so many different things where you can dive into and be like, damn, damn, that's a, that's a weighty theme. Uh, I enjoyed the book overall, but I'm not going to rave about it. I, I would probably say this has been on the lower end of the of the two other Dostoevsky books I've read. I, I think I prefer Crime and Punishment uh, more so and then even Brothers Karamazov above that. So overall, I'm going to give The Prince by Fyodor Dostoevsky a 6.5 out of 10. Solid, solid read, lots of interesting themes, but uh, I wouldn't... I'm probably not going to go reread this again yeah. just because they're so bloody thick. <laughs> and thank you, my man, Modelize, for joining me to this part of the audio, a long audio for a long, long book. What are your thoughts on The Prince, on The Idiot, on Dostoevsky? Uh, I would love to know all of these things. Do you think he was uh, naive, endearing, and yet this was ultimately his downfall or was that naivety only... The only reason he got the chance to to have a a downfall of somewhat to interact with all of these you know wealthy people or people of status or interesting people or these beauties and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. The best way to do that is to send me a boostergram. So to do this, you need to go to one of the new podcast apps: Fountain, Breeze, Curocaster, Podverse. Uh, Podfriend, Castomatic, all of these fantastic apps and upload some Satoshis, which are a tiny, tiny little bit of Bitcoin and send me a message directly to um, the Mere Models book reviews in the app whilst you're using it. It is bloody freaking brilliant. And I always read these out on the book recaps at the end of the month. And yeah, I really would appreciate the support. This channel can only keep going on with your support. And, you know, this is a, a half an hour book review here. What are your, what is the value of half an hour of your time and of the lessons, the learnings, the themes that I brought out from this and brought to your attention? Um, you know, it could be $5, could be $50, could be $500. It could be uh, 50 Satoshis, could be 5,000, could be 50,000 Satoshis, all of these numbers it's up to you to decide because this is a value for value so i'm providing value and uh, i really do appreciate if you can provide that value back in whatever form you want um, in a uh, a message in a payment in help in talent and time all of these things are, are beautiful and uh, i do appreciate you coming all the way to the end so uh Yep, that is it for today. I do really do hope you're having a, a non-idiotic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.